0: Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference every year. Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about our CanMed 2021 event that will take place September 29th through October 1st at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. And be sure to get your tickets today at our special early bird rate. While you're at canmedevents.com, be sure to sign up for email alerts to stay up to date with all the news surrounding this industry-leading event. The best place to do that is on our podcast page, which you can find in the main menu under the Media tab. You can also go there directly by going to kenmedeventscom slash coffeetalk. There is a sign-up form on that page, and if you complete it, you will be entered into a drawing to win two CanMed 2021 VIP dinner tickets. While you are there, you can also listen to all the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast episodes in our archive. And be sure to check out the latest issue of Cannabis Patient Care to learn all about how CanMed's parent company, Medicinal Genomics, got its start and why our CEO, Brendan McKernan, and CSO, Kevin McKernan, remain so committed to advancing the cannabis industry and helping patients in need. Just head over to the CanMed website under the About Us tab to find out more. Special thanks to our friends at Cannabis Patient Care for publishing this story, and while you're at it, don't forget to give them a follow at Cannabis Patient Care. Okay, my guest this episode is Alice Moon. Alice is a PR and marketing professional who has worked in the cannabis space since 2011. In 2018, Alice was diagnosed with cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome and had to cease cannabis use completely. Since being diagnosed with CHS, Alice has found herself being an advocate for safe and mindful cannabis consumption, awareness, and research. At CAMED 2019, Alice participated on a CSH panel, which is the first time I had heard about this condition. Since then, her passion for educating on the subject has garnered the attention of Rx Leafly, Business Insider, and Forbes. In early 2020, Yahoo! released a documentary featuring Alice, which I will link to in the show description. During our conversation, we discussed Alice's experience with CHS, what little we know about what causes CHS, what treatments provide relief from CHS, strategies cannabis users can use to reduce their risk of developing the syndrome, how awareness for CHS has grown since Alice developed the condition, whether patients who recover from CHS can go back to using cannabis, the three stages of CHS and more. Before we get to my conversation with Alice, I would like to thank this episode's sponsor, the American Cannabis Nurses Association. ACNA is a national nursing organization whose mission is to advance excellence in cannabis nursing practice through advocacy, collaboration, education, research, and policy development. Founded in 2010, ACNA is now in its 11th year with almost 1,700 members in the United States. They continue to work on providing their members with up-to-date cannabis information and resources to care for patients who use cannabis. Join them today at www.cannabisnurses.org and be part of the change. And lastly, our friends at the Hemp and Coffee Exchange are creating some great coffee. If you didn't know... Hemp Coffee is healthy, delicious, and a natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients, providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, please check out hempcoffeeexchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Alice Moon. Good afternoon, Alice. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here.
0: All right. Um, I'm very interested to talk with you today um, about an issue that I imagine a lot of our listeners don't know too much about, um, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome or cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Um, So you have dealt with this personally, and I know you've told your story countless times, but I hope you wouldn't mind sharing it again. Um, Just tell us about your your experience with this syndrome, and then we can talk more about um, kind of everything that goes into it.
1: Yeah, so um, I joined the cannabis industry back in 2011, and in 2015, I started writing edible reviews, so I was consuming a good amount of edibles, about 10 to 15 milligrams of edibles a day. I'd smoke about half a joint a day. I wouldn't consider myself a heavy user by any means, but I was definitely a, a user. Um, I used cannabis for anxiety and depression and for sleep, so it was definitely a medicine for me, um, while I also would use it recreationally sometimes during the day, so it had a lot of benefits and purposes for me. Um, around 2016 I started to throw up and I would just get really sick um, for a few hours at a time and then it would go away and it would happen about once a month and then as time went on it started happening more and more like once a week um, and then in 2018 uh, I threw up for 14 days straight um, that was non-stop vomiting all day every day 14 days and Doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Then eventually I saw a doctor who said, you know, it's got to be the weed. So I took a three-month cannabis break, and then I reintroduced cannabis back into my life, and I got sick again, this time only lasting four days. And then I said, okay, maybe I can introduce CBD. Oh, and when I reintroduced cannabis into my life, that was pesticide-free cannabis. I made sure it was pesticide-free So, because a lot of people say that CHS caused by pesticides. So... Went pesticide-free, still got sick, and then I introduced CBD into my life, and I was able to use CBD for about three months until I had my worst episode yet, where I threw up all day, every day for 16 days straight. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really crazy journey with CHS, um, it just being so sick for so many years, not knowing what was going on with me, having my near-death experiences with all my throwing up, and my 16-day episode, um, I got an ulcer, a hernia, and a bacteria infection in my gut um, from all the throwing up.
0: Wow, that is <laughs> that's a, unbelievable. Really, um, can't believe you had to go through that. Um, so, when was it that you actually figured out that this was CHS or that it was the cannabis that was was causing this? And, I mean, I'll be very <laughs> I'll be very frank. I had never heard of CHS until I heard your story at Kim in twenty nineteen. Um, so, what resources were available to you at the time um, when you were going through this? Was it how well known was it?
1: it wasn't very well known at all. There was barely any resources. The only things I could find online when searching, um, were like very fear mongering articles that are like cannabis is bad and mm. people are getting really, really sick and it's crazy. And just, it was very fear mongering and wasn't informative at all. Um, Dr. Jeff Robber, um, Raber, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name. Um, with, um, he's with a terpene company. He um, actually is the one who told me to put capsaicin cream on my stomach. And so that did provide some relief when I used capsaicin cream, but then my skin was on fire and was burning. And so I used a wet rag to try to wipe the capsaicin off, not knowing that water actually increases the effects of it. And so wow. I just made it even worse. And then I was crying in tears because my stomach was on fire. Um, and so I couldn't use capsaicin again after that because it was so traumatizing, but capsaicin does help a lot of people. Um, but back to your question, there wasn't a lot of information out there at all. Um, there was a few Facebook groups that exist that are great resources now, but I didn't have them at the time. I wasn't aware of them. It wasn't until I started publicly speaking that people reached out to me and told me about the Facebook group. So it took me, um, a few years to like really find a lot of resources on it. And when did I first truly believe that I had it? Well, before my 14-day episode, right before, I had seen a doctor and she had said it could probably be the weed. And so before my 14-day episode, I said, okay, I'm going to go have one last hurrah. I'm going to an infused dinner in the Malibu Hills. I just didn't want to pass it up. And that last hurrah is what triggered my 14-day episode. And so it became very apparent that it was cannabis that was triggering my symptoms.
0: Wow. Yeah, you know, and I have to imagine that that's that must have been hard for you personally, too, because you're in the in the industry, you're a very vocal advocate for cannabis. And then to have this be um, something that's causing you illness must have been a, a hard thing to accept
1: a very hard thing to accept. It's been a very challenging thing. I still, you know, get upset about it from time to time because not only is cannabis my medicine, but cannabis is my entire life. Like I'm a cannabis socialite. I go to events all the time. I review products. I educate people on safe consumption. I live, eat, breathe, sleep cannabis. It is my world completely. So definitely hard pill to swallow on that one.
0: And I wonder if you could speak to what has sort of the response been from the cannabis community now that you've been more vocal about this issue? I mean, I can speak from not really experience, but talking with other folks on the podcast who have maybe raised some concerns about potentially negative effects of cannabis that um, they do receive some backlash from people in the community. So I was wondering uh, if you experienced that at all.
1: Yes. So while I have had some support from people in the industry, I've also had an overwhelming amount of backlash. Um, someone said I deserve to be beaten up because I was oh, speaking wow. out about it. Um, I've received targeted attacks so many different times um, from people both within the industry and without. Um, outside of the industry. I've lost a lot of peers um, in the space, people who I thought that were like friends, um, because they were just so frustrated that I was speaking out about this. And they think that it's a potential Um harm to legalization, but I just think it's a potential negative that needs to be discussed. And by not discussing it, we're doing more harm than good.
0: I agree with you 100%. Um, I think we all agree that cannabis has amazing therapeutic potential. Um, And if we believe that it can do all these great things, then we have to assume that it could do some negative things too um, in certain situations. And thankfully, um, it doesn't happen too often, but we need to acknowledge that there is a risk out there in some cases, and the more we understand it, the better we can um, we better we can use the medicine.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I really want the cannabis community to understand that um, and become more accepting and aware of it because I was sick for two years before I knew what was wrong with me. And that's because there wasn't any education and awareness. And i that's two years of suffering that I went through that, you know, things that I had to cancel all the time, flights that were missed, things that my life was disrupted because I was so sick. And I don't want anyone else to have to go through that. So I think awareness is super important.
0: All right. So on the topic of awareness. So uh, as I was saying to you before we started recording that back in 2019, when you were on the panel about this this issue at Kim in 2019, I had never heard of CHS, um, but since then, I have heard of it a few times, uh, most recently in a, a clubhouse room discussing THC limits that were going to be placed on edibles, where someone mentioned that um, CHS uh, is a real thing. And um, a lot of people on that call had had never heard of it, and I actually actually uh, raised my hand and, and pointed people to the, the video of the panel that you were on. Uh, and I hope people actually check that out. And I will definitely add a link to that in the show notes for, um, for this podcast as well for anyone who hasn't seen it. But back to the original question about awareness that how has awareness grown um, since 2019?
1: Um, awareness is definitely growing. I mean, I was featured by Washington Post last summer. They did a cover story in their health section of the newspaper, um, about CHS. So that was a big deal. Um, Business Insider, Leafly, High Times, they've all done pieces on it as well. And then a few, um, TV stations have also done pieces. So I think awareness is growing. Um, I created an Instagram account and a Twitter account that, um, you know, I use CHS hashtags and I'm constantly, I'm searching Twitter for people who are talking about CHS. That way I can point them in the right direction for resources. So I think awareness is definitely growing. A lot more people are hearing about it, but there's still a lot more people who need to hear about it. So the work is not over yet.
0: Yeah. And again, during that panel in 2019, you know, this whole condition was still very mysterious as to, you know, what are the causes? What are the treatments? There hadn't been enough research into CHS. What's changed on that front? Do we have any more idea of sort of what's triggering this condition or maybe um, at least some commonalities between people who are experiencing it?
1: So um, at the CanMed panel, I had done a survey of, I believe it was like 130 or 150 people. Um, since then, I've done a survey of 330 people, and I asked more in-depth questions. And really, the only commonality that we all have is that we use cannabis. The amount mm-hmm. that we use, the duration we used, um, the uh, type used, it all varies. Um, the age of people. The majority of people were using for eight years or longer before developing symptoms, but there were people who were using for less than a year that developed symptoms. So it's kind of all over the place. Um, And uh, there was one other point with it that I just slipped my brain. It'll come back to me. Um, But yeah, oh, um, there was a high amount of people with anxiety and depression Hmm. So that is interesting. I can't say that, oh, if you have anxiety and depression, you're going to get CHS. It might be those people are just using cannabis to treat their anxiety and depression. And that's why we have a high amount of people that have it. But that was the pre-existing condition that there was a high amount of people having it. Um, As far as treatment goes, 90, I think, believe like 97% of people use hot baths successfully um, to treat their symptoms um, Haldol is a medication that is commonly used and there was a small amount of people who used Haldol and it did work for them But it gave them such severe side effects that they said they would have preferred the nausea and vomiting over the side effects so um, Haldol is really a medication that is being used more. It's kind of the go-to now in emergency rooms So doctors are turning to that medication. Um, it's a an, uh, benzodiazepine and antipsychotic and so for people who don't have psychotic issues it can cause psychosis so it is, should be a last resort. Capsaicin cream should be the go-to, but a lot of doctors are using Haldol and a few other medications. Um, University of Calgary in Canada is currently doing a study to see how beneficial Haldol truly is as a medication for treatment. So we'll see those results in a few months, see what they come up with. Um, they did a study already on capsaicin, and so now they're working on Haldol to see how that works out.
0: Oh, wow. So that's encouraging that there are some, some folks that are doing some research into treatments for this.
1: Yeah. Um, I wish that there was some research going on into the cause behind it. I think that would be more beneficial if we could figure out the root cause and a way to test for it, to see why this is occurring, um, who this is occurring in. So that way people, if there's like some type of genetic predisposition, we can figure it out sooner before people go through, you know, months to years of suffering.
0: Yeah. And the thing that really, um, Kind of stands out to me is that you know, as you as you mentioned in your story, is that you enjoyed cannabis symptom free for years um, before developing this condition. So, I mean, do we understand? Is there some sort of you know mechanism that flips that you can no longer tolerate it? I mean, obviously, I think as you said, we we still don't know, but it just um, it seems interesting and not something I can really think of happening with any other allergy or, or condition or syndrome.
1: Yeah, it seems like it's just like a flip that gets switched. All of a sudden, um, your body just rejects it. There's one theory that too much cannabis can turn off the TRIP1 receptor, the TRPV one receptor, which is um, a receptor. It's a capsaicin receptor that actually helps regulate digestion. And it's suggested that perhaps too much cannabis can turn off that receptor in some people. And the heat, hot baths and capsaicin cream on the stomach turn that receptor back on because it's a capsaicin receptor. So there is that theory that um, potentially that receptor is what is getting shut down, but you know, that is just a theory and we don't hundred percent know.
0: Yeah. And so is there any sort of general advice that, that folks are giving to, you know, sort of prevent that if, if it is sort of like a, an overload of that system uh, in terms of, you know, whether it's taking regular breaks from cannabis to kind of reset the receptors, uh, Uh, recently did a podcast with Dr. Dustin Sulak, who, who recommended that not in not for CHS specifically, but just in general to, you know, take a break every now and then and that you can actually see some regeneration of um, CB1 receptors in just 48 hours of cessation. So is there any thought to maybe that being a, a potential way to prevent something like this?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think everyone should take cannabis breaks every now and then. Um, Just give your body a reset. Um, Yeah, I think that's very important. And that's something that I rarely did is I didn't take breaks, I was consuming quite often. um, So I wish I would have taken more breaks, um, for sure. And I think you know, there's three phases to CHS. There's the prodromal phase, which is nausea um, and stomach aches. Then there's the hyperemetic stage, which is where the people are throwing up, and then there's the recovery stage, which is when you're getting better. So if people hit that prodromal stage, the beginning stage of it where they're just feeling nauseous, that's definitely a key sign that they should be taking a break and then hopefully by taking a break they won't ever get to the hyperemetic stage.
0: Oh, interesting. So is that something that, you know, will start happening, like you'll feel nauseous with one session and it sort of goes away, but you continue to use and it progresses or does it all kind of progress one after another?
1: It kind of progresses generally. Um, mm. And some people won't even experience the podromal phase. Like I didn't experience that phase. I went straight to the hyperemetic phase. So this it hits, it hits everyone differently. Unfortunately, like there isn't like a real pattern with things it kind of is like all over the place with how it's going to affect people. And another thing is, it's usually not immediately after smoking. It's usually about 24 hours after using. So that's why it can be hard to correlate that it's cannabis because it's not always immediately after use. Now, once you get to the hyper phase, phase um, and you're like really bad off, it can happen immediately. Like right after you smoke, you're immediately sick. But generally for people, it's like 24 hours afterwards, which is really why it's hard to correlate the fact that it is cannabis making you sick.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that you had mentioned on that panel is – You know, cannabis is largely accepted or believed to be kind of an anti-nausea remedy. So if what you're saying is that after 24 hours of using cannabis, you could start feeling nauseous, it's not... um, it could be a logical response to be like, hey, I'll have some cannabis to help relieve my nausea. But that could be the exact opposite of what you should be doing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people do use cannabis to try to treat their symptoms of CHS, and then they only make themselves worse. And that's because they don't know about CHS and what's going on with their body.
0: Absolutely. And then so, I mean, we're talking about raising awareness in in users, but what about awareness amongst uh, medical professionals and, you know, ER physicians, for example? Um You know, what sort of efforts are being done to kind of educate them on on this condition?
1: So last year, I worked with the Institute for Safe Medicine Practices in Canada, and we developed a brochure to give out to um, people in emergency rooms all across Canada. So um, now I have Canada down. Now it's next to U.S. try to work on something similar um, in the United States. So Um, You know, I'm just one person here and I don't get paid to do this. So I try my hardest to get things done. But so we at least educated, um, you know, physicians and emergency room doctors in um, Canada. But there isn't a lot of efforts being made in the United States. And I think there's two issues right now. Either doctors don't know about CHS or doctors know about it and they are too quick to diagnose people with it. So a lot of doctors um, can misdiagnose people because they just ask the patient, like, are you using cannabis? Okay, that's what's making you sick. And that person could potentially have other underlying conditions that the doctor doesn't want to test for because they just want to put it straight to cannabis. And we're seeing that a lot. And that kind of um, makes people disbelieve in CHS because then they end up finding out that there's something else going on with them. And so they're saying, you know, doctors are just too quick to make this up. Um, So I think that there's like two issues at hand. So... We need to educate doctors on it, but we also need doctors to make sure that they're ruling out every other possibility before saying it's CHS.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And now, so I guess in that in that vein, are there some symptoms that are specific to CHS that's sort of a clear indicator that that's what that's what this is?
1: Finding a relief from a hot bath is one of the key indicators um, that doctors use for diagnosis because there isn't anything else um, that really provides this kind of relief. I'm talking about like I was throwing up excessively and I would get in the hot tub and I would stop completely. And then within seconds of getting out of the tub, I'd be throwing up again. So it's really that like um, important and just – Impactful, the hot bath the heat. Um, yeah, I was like living on my bathroom floor, going between like throwing up and the hot bath for quite some time. Um, and, you know, that just leads to more dehydration, which is mm-hmm. not good for you. Um, which, you know, there have been a few deaths from CHS from dehydration and organ failure because people are throwing up so excessively and they don't know what's going on with them and they aren't treated properly. And then ultimately, you know, they have died. So there's been five reported deaths total on CHS.
0: Yeah. Wow. And so, I mean, and I think you kind of touched on it before, but I don't know, maybe we could talk about it again. But, I mean, what is it about the hot bath specifically that is providing the relief, if we even know, or if there's a theory behind that?
1: Yeah, so there is a theory about TRPV1 receptor, which I mentioned. And then there's also a theory about um, body temperature regulation. Um, blood temperature regulation. And I'm not too um, privy on that one. So I can't really speak on it too much. But there's just a few theories around going around that. But I think the TRPV1, the trip one receptor one is the one that makes the most sense out of everything I've read, that the hot bath turns that receptor back on temporarily. And then when you get out of the hot bath, that receptor gets shut back off and your body goes haywire.
0: Wow. Wow. And then one of the other things that uh, you mentioned on the panel that some folks get some relief with is running, which um, the first thing and the first thing that came to my mind when I heard that was anandamide. Could anandamide be playing a role? But then I think uh, the doctor on the panel um, mentioned more about the temperature regulation aspect of that, but uh, I'll let you speak to it.
1: Yeah, so running is something that has helped. Um, in a survey that I did, there's only a small amount of people who got relief from running. Um, only I think like I don't know, like 10% of people found relief from running. But that still is a percent. That's like 33 people who found relief from running. Um, And there was one study um, documented case of someone getting rhabdomyolysis from running so much. Someone ran for like 17 hours straight and just um, did his body dirty by just running so much. And his body just, you know, shut down on him. Um, He didn't die, thankfully, but he got rhabdomyolysis from it. And, yeah, we don't really understand the why behind it. Um, with my second episode, I the one that lasted four days, I got up and went for, like, extensive walks every day. And I don't know if that helped at all, but I know that my episode only lasted four days that time instead of the 14 or 16 days. So that could have had some type of impact, the moving around, the changing of body temperature. Um, that could have helped with my um, symptoms.
0: And so I want to ask you – um, so what is your relationship with cannabis now? Um, is it still that you cannot tolerate any at all or is there any um, are there any cases of folks who have CHS who are able to reintroduce cannabinoids or is it just you know, it's done?
1: <laughs> so um, from what I've seen, People who reintroduce uh, cannabinoids, if they have CHS, they do end up getting sick again, but it's a matter of time. It's not always like immediate. It could be after years or it could be after weeks, Um, but the symptoms do come back. But a lot of people don't want to give up cannabis as their medicine, so they figure out ways to use it lightly, whether that be just using like one hit a day, one toke a week or something like that. Um, There's a lot of people who still consume and they just listen to their body. When the nausea starts to creep up, they take a cannabis break. I personally, um, my endocannabinoid system is so overdone that I can't even handle secondhand smoke now. So my friends can't even smoke around me um, or I will start to throw up. And so I can't use cannabis at all, but I still work in the industry. I'm still extremely passionate about the plant. Um, I do PR and marketing and social media, and um, I promote the plant and all of its benefits. And I love it so much, and I want a cure so that way I can go back to using my medicine.
0: No, and I think that's an important, um, an important thing to bring up again, because, um, like you said, you experienced some backlash talking out of, about against, excuse me, you experience some backlash speaking out uh, about this issue, and oftentimes people, you know, are very black and white when it comes to cannabis. It's either it's either all good or it's all bad, and I think you're a great example of you know acknowledging the bad and the good and, you know, having a very, um, level-headed perspective on that. So.
1: Yeah. And I think something else that we should touch base on is what happens when somebody stops using cannabis, because that's also not talked about at all. Um, you think you stop using cannabis and then you're all better. And that's not necessarily true. Um, people can go through <laughs> withdrawals. So I had extreme nightmares when I quit using cannabis, my anxiety heightened. Um, and You know, that could be because I had pre-existing anxiety, Um, but I've talked to plenty of people who didn't have pre-existing anxiety and they quit using and they had anxiety afterwards. They had loss of appetite, sleep issues, um, agitation. So there's a lot of things that can go on mentally and physically with the body when you're quit using cannabis. So it's not as cut and dry as, oh, you have CHS, just quit using. It's like somebody can go through a lot of really gnarly withdrawals. Um, And the industry likes to say that there isn't any withdrawals from cannabis, but that's simply not true. Your body is going through some changes. You know, if your body can be so positively fa- impacted by cannabis when you're using it, like when you take it away, can't you imagine that some things could be going on with your body then as well?
0: Absolutely. And if everything we know about the endocannabinoid system is that, you know, it's it's to promote homeostasis, if you're constantly supplementing with cannabinoids um, and then you take those away, then there's going to have to be kind of a readjustment period. It makes all the sense in the world yeah. to me.
1: And so there's been so many people who go back to using cannabis because they don't want to deal with the nightmares and the anxiety and all that stuff. And so then, you know, it's a never ending cycle of like getting sick and um, having to quit, getting sick, having to quit. And it just quite simply, it sucks.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, But it is good to hear that, you know, some people who experience this can still um, can still use cannabis in small doses or more manageable doses and again, I, I've I've spoken to to doctors here on the podcast who who say that a lot of patients can get a lot of benefits from from low doses of cannabinoids still. Um, so hopefully, if um, if folks who are really using cannabis to to treat a a severe condition or, or it's the only thing that works for them, there's still some hope that they can continue to use it.
1: Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, anyone listening to this who thinks they might have CHS, just listen to your body. I think that's really important. If you are throwing up all the time, then definitely cut cannabis out of your life. But if you're only feeling some nausea and you're able to take breaks and then reintroduce it, like just tread carefully and be very careful with it um, because you don't want to go into a 14 day episode like I went into.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I know we sort of talked about it when we were, we were asking if there was any kind of correlation between um, the experiences of people who have gone through this. But um, I don't think we talked specifically of, you know, are there certain formulations or certain forms of cannabis that that seem to trigger this more than others? For example, you know, smoking versus eating or, you know, high THC versus high CBD or is it sort of all across the board?
1: So with my survey, um, only three people were edible users only. So that was surprising that only three people were just using edibles. The majority of people were using cannabis um, as the flower itself, and the majority were using it out of bongs. Um, there is, you know, some people who are using dabs and bongs, um, some, some people using vapes as well, but majority of people were smoking flower. Um, as far as if it was high THC, low THC, I actually don't know the answer to that question. Um, I'm not sure. Um, but as far as if it was pesticide free or not, there Mm. is about half of people who grew their own and it was pesticide free. Um, so, and they still develop CHS symptoms. So. Um, but half the people didn't know what, if their flower was pesticide free or not. Um, so, you know, with legalization, we'll see more people who are like having access to pesticide free flour, And so then they will actually know what they're getting. Um, but for now, a lot of people don't have safe access. So they're getting whatever they're getting, but I don't believe that pesticides are the issue here at all. Um, I think if it was a pesticide problem, we'd see this a lot more widespread, and this has um, occurred with people with synthetic cannabinoid use at all um, as well. So that shows that it's like something to do with cannabinoids is the root cause of this.
0: Wow. Wow. So, so what's next for you in your, um, in your goal to try to raise awareness here? Um, what's next?
1: I'm just going to keep doing interviews. I'm um, trying to spread the word. You know, my next goal is to be New York, be in New York Times. That's like the ideal goal. Um, I was speaking with them last year before COVID hit. And then when COVID became a thing that like cut that story out of the picture. But sure. that would be um, my ultimate goal is to get in New York Times because that is a story that uh, that would just reach a lot of people. And I wanted to just keep reaching out to people, talking to people, connecting and educating and letting people know that they're not alone with this, because I felt extremely alone. And it was very isolating. And I just want people to know that I'm a support for them. If they have CHS, if they have any questions about it, they can come to me. Um, I also built a website, uh, www.canavanoid-hyperemesis.com, where people can read 20 plus research papers, patient stories, there's an FAQ. um, And then there's links to all the articles um, that I've been in. So for anyone who wants to really deep dive into CHS, the information is all readily available for them.
0: That's excellent. And, you know, that's a great segue here. Um, In addition to that website, are there any other resources that you'd like to share with the audience um, that I can kind of put into the show description so they can learn more about you or about CHS or anything that, that you think would be helpful?
1: Yeah, so my Instagram account is the Alice Moon, T H E Alice Moon, and the CHS account is cannabinoid.hyperemesis. And so people can reach out to me on either of those platform um, either of those um, accounts, or they can email me at Alice Moon at Alicemoon.la and I'm more than happy to talk to them about CHS.
0: All right, excellent. I will definitely put those into the show description. All right, Alice. Um, thanks so much again for joining us today and sharing your story and you know helping us get the word out about CHS. Um, I hope to see a lot more research into this condition, and I hope to see some of that research presented at Can- a future CanMed event.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely.
0: All right, talk to you soon. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alice Moon. Please check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, the American Cannabis Nurses Association. Our next episode will drop May 19th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do check out canmedevents.com for all the latest news surrounding CanMed 2021. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for email alerts. The best place to do that is on our podcast webpage. That's at canmedevents.com slash coffee talk. If you complete the form on that page, you will be entered to win two tickets to our VIP dinner for CanMed 2021. If social media is more your thing, you can keep up with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. And lastly, if you are listening on a podcast app, please do subscribe to our feed and also leave us a five-star review. Okay, until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of Cam Ed Coffee Talk.